to this edition of the Peace and Power Podcast, where we rediscover the life of peace and power envisioned in God's Word. Somewhere deep within, each of us desires an inner flow of peace and power that transforms our daily attitudes, relationships, and life decisions. So we turn now to God's message, the Bible, as it teaches us to live in that flow of spirit peace and spirit power. It may be helpful for you to follow the outline of each talk, which is available in the show notes, and you will find the full transcript on our website, peaceandpowerpodcast.com. That's peaceandpowerpodcast.com. Here is Dr. Jim Coleman with today's Bible Talk. My Grandma Green, who, according to her friends, was one of the best cooks in her whole community, used to say, a meal always tastes better when someone else has made it for you. Well, I must say that Grandma's taste buds would rather have eaten her own prepared meal than many other cooks' meals in her community. But I get her point. There's something about sitting down to a meal someone else has prepared. Think over the years how many people have prepared meals for you. The most meaningful, of course, are those meals prepared with you in mind by someone who loves you and fixes your favorite dish. A few years ago, close friends of ours would invite us over to their backyard pool throughout the summer. And they would always grill chicken in the particular way we liked it. It was the special dish of our friendship. Isn't it also true that there's some kind of connection people have with their favorite restaurant? The flavor of the food and the feel of the atmosphere. And I suppose that even when you order at the fast food drive through and there's not much of a personal touch in the experience, still... Someone back there in the kitchen is baking or frying or grilling or chopping up your meal. When they hand you a meal through the window, in essence, they have fed you. Today's Bible text tells the story of a meal, an everyday need. But this is not your average mealtime. The meal becomes a miracle because we discover that the cook wasn't really the person who prepared it. It was prepared by faith, literally from start to finish. It took faith to get the food into the kitchen, faith to cook it, faith to send it to the table, and faith to recognize that God was at work in this meal. Maybe in one sense, those who sat at the table for this meal were fed by a cook, but in a much greater sense, they were fed by faith, faith in God. And you and I don't want to miss a meal like this. So let's see what the narrative has to teach us in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through 44. One day, a man from Baal Shalisha brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. Elisha said, give it to the people so they can eat. What his servant exclaimed? Feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, Give it to the people so they can eat, for this is what the Lord says, Everyone will eat, and there will even be some left over. And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over. 
just as the Lord had promised. We begin by remembering that this story takes place during a famine in ancient Israel. We know that from verse 38 in the story that precedes this one. A famine is in full force, and times are hard in the whole region. The setting is a school, a training center for prophets. This is the ancient forerunner of a Bible college or a seminary. Young prophets are living in community, being trained for the ministry. One of their leaders, if not their supervisor, is Elisha the prophet, the successor of Elijah. I'm not sure how hard Elisha's exams were at this school, but something tells me he was a professor who tested a lot on faith. And if you didn't have much faith, you struggled in his classes. So in the midst of this famine, we hear a knock at the door of the Elijah seminary now run by Elisha. And Elisha's servant opens this door. There, at the door, stands a man with four large, heavy bags, two over each shoulder. May I help you? the servant asks. Yes, I'm here to give the seminary a gift. He rolls the bags off each shoulder and sets them softly down on the door threshold. I am giving the Lord a grain offering from the early harvest as the law of Moses describes, an offering of gratitude for the Lord's blessing, over and above my tithe. Some of the grain is already baked into these twenty loaves, and the rest is in this sack. He glanced down and pointed to the harvest sack at the threshold. I give it to Elisha, and he may distribute it as he wishes. May the Lord bless you and keep you. With this he turned and made his way back to his donkey and straddled it, and rode slowly away. Here is the way today's text relates that scene. One day, a man from Baal Shalisha brought the man of God a sack of fresh grain and 20 loaves of barley bread made from the first grain of his harvest. When Elisha is told this, he asks where the man was from, and the servant stated, Baal Shalisha. Elisha smiled a man whose town name honors the god Baal, the regional god of fertility and storms. But instead of worshiping that god, he brings an offering to the Lord, Yahweh. In fact, this man may be bringing the Elijah Seminary his gift because he does not even trust, so to speak, his local church. You see, Israel's wayward King Jeroboam had set up two sanctuaries in the nearby towns of Dan and Bethel, erecting two golden calf idols, and he consecrated illegitimate priests. Why did he do this? So his subjects in the northern kingdom of Israel wouldn't need to take their sacrifices all the way down to Solomon's temple in Jerusalem. But faithful Israelites probably knew all of this was not God's true sanctuary and true priesthood, so they wouldn't take their sacrifices to these two locations. It could be that this man is faithfully presenting his grain offering to the Lord by giving it to a true prophet of the Lord, Elisha, and the Elijah seminary that Elisha now leads. Unfortunately, this same fact can be true today. Just as not every church member or attender is a true Christian, 
Not every pastor or priest who has been ordained by the church is a true representative of God and God's word. Elisha was legitimately proclaiming God's word and doing God's work, and so this man supports that ministry. But there's also more to this man's gift than gratitude to God for providing a grain harvest. There is faith, faith that God will continue to be his provider, not Baal. Remember, the famine is still on, and this Israelite is giving away food. This is more than generosity. This is faith. So here's the first spiritual principle from this story. We can have faith that God will bless us through others. Just as this man is the means of blessing to this school of prophets, he has the faith to believe that God will continue to provide for and bless him. He understands the cycle of blessing. He can let go of God's blessings to him and make them blessings to others because he has faith that God will somehow through his own work, or through others' work, or through both, continue to bless him. Maybe this man remembered that God had told his ancestor Abraham, I will bless you, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. This is one of the greatest reasons God has placed us in the church. We are here to bless others, and others are here to bless us. Others increase my faith and I am to increase their faith. Others comfort me, and I have the privilege of comforting them. Others give me wisdom, and I am to pass along that wisdom to someone else. We are blessed to be a blessing. So we can have full faith today as God's people that God intends to bless us through others so that we might bless still others. My parents were the youth directors in my childhood church, and they poured time and energy and love into those youth. Two of the youth were Doug and Susie, who dated in high school and eventually married. About three years ago, Doug was diagnosed with lung cancer. He was a strong, burly football coach, and nothing in his lifestyle made him the typical lung cancer patient. When I sent a note to Susie that we were praying for Doug, she responded, Your parents' youth group literally changed our lives and our eternity. Come to find out, Doug and Susie had become the youth directors at their church, and they poured their ministry energy into those youth and had a life-changing ministry in that community. Do you know how blessed my parents were to learn that Doug and Susie had turned around? and blessed others in the same way my parents had blessed them? This is the cycle of blessing. And you and I should have faith that God will bless us through others, and when we pass that blessing on to others, the cycle of blessing never ends. Earlier last year, Doug went home to be with the Lord, but the blessings he gave to others will continue on and on, and on. It's the cycle of blessing. This unnamed man from Baal Salisha believed that we can even give away blessings in a famine and still expect, by faith, 
that God will continue to provide blessings for us. But not everyone in this story has faith. Elisha's servant does not have faith that God is a hilariously generous provider. Verse 42, Elisha said, Give it to the people so they can eat. What, his servant exclaimed? Feed a hundred people with only this? But Elisha repeated, Give it to the people so they can eat. For this is what the Lord says, Everyone will eat, and there will even be some left over. The fact here, of course, is that even with the great generosity of this man's grain offering, there's still not enough bread to feed all of the seminary community. So either everyone is going to get a snack, or somehow these loaves of bread and grain must be stretched. And Elisha believes that God will stretch this meal. What a contrast between the faith of the man from Baal Shalisha in giving, the faith of Elisha in God's provision, and the faithlessness of Elisha's servant in the kitchen. But this is true to life, isn't it? Haven't we been on one side or the other, faith or faithlessness in life's circumstances? I am amazed at and ashamed of sometimes how faithless I've been not believing that God could act with power in a circumstance. And I've been equally amazed in those times when God gave me the grace to believe, to believe what I could not see, but to know that God was going to do something great. Why can't I always have that kind of faith that God will act in power? This is the second principle we learn from this story. We can have faith that God will act for us with power. We may not know exactly how or exactly when or exactly who God will bring to act in his power. But we should live with faith-filled expectation. What a blessing. Well, the unnamed man did his part with a faithful gift. And Elisha did his part with faith-filled expectation. So then, God did God's part with faithful multiplication. Verse 44, And when they gave it to the people, there was plenty for all and some left over, just as the Lord had promised. Does this story remind you of another story, one from Jesus' ministry? Of course, the feeding of the 5,000 in John chapter 6, verses 5-14. through 14. Like Elisha took these loaves of grain offered by the generous man and prayed that God would multiply them, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish from the generous boy and prayed that God would multiply them. And in both narratives, there are abundant leftovers. This, by the way, is why Jesus' disciples reported to him that part of the Jewish populace believed that Jesus was Elijah returned, Mark 8, 28. Or believe that maybe he was one of the other prophets, like Elisha. While the crowds were wrong about that, they were right about John the Baptist's and Jesus' ministry mirroring the spirit-filled ministries of Elijah and Elisha. So, Those in the Elijah seminary now led by Elisha, who finally had a full meal, 
and those on the hillside with Jesus who had a full meal. And us today, all of us see clearly this third principle. We can have faith that God can provide for us super abundantly. Isn't one of the ways we experience this spiritually at the communion table where we are again fed by faith? Yes, it is physical food, but much more. It is food that is to be approached and then received and tasted by faith. It is provided to us from the earth and then from Jesus. Without his faithful offering on the cross, we would not be sharing in the communion table, fed by faith. And there's always plenty. Jesus has provided super abundantly. There's enough at the communion table for the whole world, so to speak. So now we have seen all three principles. We can have faith that God will bless us through others. We can have faith that God will act for us with power. And we can have faith that God will provide for us super abundantly. Here is a peace and power principle. When you are blessed, be a blessing, and you will be blessed again. Thank you for listening to the Peace and Power podcast, and we invite you to subscribe to hear the next upcoming Bible talk. Again, our website is peaceandpowerpodcast.com, And our prayer is that God's Word has brought you a greater sense of a supernatural flow of God's peace and power in your life.